Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe you know someone whose voice drives you nuts. I could tell by the looks on your faces that some of you thought of someone right away. It could just be something about the sound. It strikes your ears the wrong way. It's like nails on a chalkboard, and you just want it to stop. And especially if you're already in a bad mood, the sound of such a voice can really turn you into a terrible person. I found out just recently that the chipmunks, as in Alvin and the chipmunks, they're the most successful children's artists of all time. They had two number one Billboard singles, and they've won five Grammys, which means that I must be one of the few people in the world who finds their voices very difficult to listen to. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I just want it to stop. But sometimes, sometimes it's not the sound of the voice that is obnoxious. Sometimes a voice can be obnoxious because of what it says, or what it has said, or what it's not saying. It's the meaning of the words carried by the voice that drives you nuts, and you wish it would just stop. You've seen this in action if you've ever put two siblings in the backseat of a car. The volume steadily rises as you make your way down the road until one kid finally shouts at the other, Stop talking to me. That's a pretty amazing thing. That talking is so powerful. That words can carry such force. You know the old mantra, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. Words can hurt worse than sticks and stones. They can hurt so bad that it's not uncommon for folks to resort to sticks and stones just to shut someone up. In fact, I think it's safe to say that most fist fights are begun not when someone throws a punch, but when one person says just the right words to get under another person's skin. Some people say things just to be provocative. They say something just to get a rise out of you, and we'd like to think that it's the falsehood, the lie, the untruth of what they've said that really gets on our nerves. But you probably know this. Often, it's the grain of truth that's most irritating. It's the grain of truth that resonates with your conscience, that leaves you with no argument, no excuse. It's the grain of truth that cuts you. That's often the most unbearable thing to hear. Keep all of that in mind when you think about what happened to the people of Israel at Mount Horeb. That's what they called Mount Sinai in the book of Deuteronomy. It was the mountain of God. And on that mountain, God gave the people of Israel his law. That's in the background of our Old Testament lesson today. In our lesson today, Moses told the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Moses is recalling what happened in Exodus chapter 20, when God first spoke all the words of the law to his people. They were at the mountain, and it was an apocalyptic scene. There was thunder and lightning and the sound of a trumpet, and the mountain was smoking. And naturally, the people were afraid, and they trembled. So they stood far off, and they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. 
but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Their fear of the thunder and lightning matched their fear of God's words. Imagine standing before God while he speaks the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. It's like standing in a courtroom, guilty, listening to the bailiff read the charges. Maybe you've had the experience of hearing a sermon and wondering if the pastor somehow knew what you were thinking because his words cut straight to your heart. Take that kind of experience and remove every shred of doubt. When God speaks his law to sinners, he knows what they're thinking. He knows what's in their hearts. And so the people begged Moses to stand between them and God. They couldn't bear God's voice. And so they asked Moses to speak with him on their behalf. It's not only the sound of God's voice, which was terrifying on its own, but it was also what he was saying that terrified them. They were right to be terrified. And God said so himself. His words would kill them. So at the time, God gave them Moses. But even that was frightening for them because whenever Moses talked to God, his face would start glowing. Maybe you remember this strange story. Moses' face would glow after he'd been in the presence of God. And so he'd cover his face with a veil because the people were afraid to come near and talk to him. He was reflecting something of God's glory. And even that reflection was too much for the people. Think of what a sad and heartbreaking state of affairs that was. Think of it in terms of God as a heavenly father. He loves his dear children. He used to walk and talk with them in the garden, and there was no fear, no terror, no guilt, no shame. But that was one of the first things that changed when Adam and Eve sinned. They hid from God because they were afraid of him. They were afraid when they heard his voice. On the one hand, they were right to be afraid. God had said, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will certainly die. They knew what they had coming. And so they were afraid. But on the other hand, what they no longer believed about God, but what had never changed, was that he loved them. They didn't believe it anymore. They didn't believe that he is merciful to those who fear him. And because they didn't believe it, they couldn't bear to be near him. They didn't want to hear his voice. Think about the range of ways that we silence voices in our lives. Selective hearing, for instance, that's a good one. We learn to do that at an early age. You just pretend that you haven't heard the things you don't want to hear. Or you create distance. You go out of your way to avoid talking to someone. And when you have to talk to somebody you don't want to, you keep the conversation light and superficial. You talk about the weather and the Vikings. Or you build up a good argument, a strong defense, against someone whose words get to you. You rationalize and justify and rehearse the conversation in your head so that when you finally get around to hearing what you don't want to hear, you've built up a pretty good buffer between yourself and this painful thought, these painful words. 
The voice that can be most difficult to silence is the voice of your own conscience. You can't hide from that. But you can kind of drown it out. You can fill your ears with other voices so the sound of your own conscience isn't so grating. It's amazing the repertoire of techniques that we have not to hear the voices that we don't want to hear in our lives. Even though God gave Moses to the people of Israel, they were still not keen on hearing his voice. They were frightened by the sight of Moses' face, and they struggled with the same problem that Adam and Eve had struggled with. They struggled to believe that God loved them and that he is merciful to those who fear him. If you don't believe that, then God's word, God's voice, even his voice coming through an intermediary, coming through someone like Moses, even that is too much. And so quite often the people of Israel they simply stopped up their ears and would not listen. That is why the words of our Old Testament lesson are so precious today. Moses said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. God will put his words in his mouth and he shall speak to you all that God commands him. Moses was a great prophet, but he could not redeem the people of Israel. He was not the offspring of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. But there was to come a greater prophet, a better prophet, a better intermediary than Moses. And the promise of that prophet would be the hope of every faithful Israelite. Even though Moses would die, God would raise up a prophet for them to whom they would listen. For the faithful Israelites longed to hear God's word, longed to have it in their ears and on their lips. They longed not to be terrified, but to be comforted, to see God's love and mercy for them. This prophet would not only speak God's word to them, but he would himself be the very word of God in flesh. And he would reveal in the flesh God's love and mercy. Moses' flesh glowed with the glory of God, and the people were afraid of it. Christ's flesh would shine forth with the glory of crucifixion, the glory of pierced hands and feet and side, a face and a countenance humble and made low. Christ's flesh would show the glory of God, which is to forgive sinners, to give them his mercy and love. Think of what a judgment it would be if, when God is rejected, he stopped talking. If, when Moses died, the story was over. That is a terrible judgment that is, from time to time, leveled even at God's people throughout the Bible. The prophet Amos calls it a famine of hearing God's word, when God stops talking, and so no one can hear the voice of their shepherd. Think of what a great mercy it is that even when we find his voice to be obnoxious, God continues to speak. He continues to call us. For how could anyone ever hear and follow him if his voice went silent? Think of what a great mercy it is that to the people who dwell in darkness and sit in the shadow of death, to people like you and me, God has caused his light to shine. So that for people like you and me who would hide from God in terror, who would rather not have heard his voice in the first place, for you and me, he has come near to show us his love and mercy. He has come near speaking tenderly and gently of forgiveness and salvation. 
That is what we are preparing for as we end the Advent season. We are preparing to receive a prophet like Moses, the word of God in human flesh and blood, a prophet who speaks to us all that God has commanded him. We are preparing to receive a prophet who stands between us and the thunder and lightning and smoke of Sinai, and whose face does not glow in a terrifying reflection of God's glory, but whose face is lowly and humble, whose face looks on us in mercy. A prophet who receives the blows of God's wrath, the judgment of his unbearable glory for you. A prophet who will suffer and die on the cross so that you can see clear as day the love that God has for you and his mercy towards those who fear him. Think of that as you approach the baby in the manger this Christmas. He's coming not to be adorable, at least not in the way that babies are. He's not lying there in the manger for you to tickle his cute little baby toes. He's coming to be adorable in a different way, in this way. Like a prophet, like Moses, worthy of adoration, worthy of greater gifts than the wise men could offer, worthy of the worship of shepherds, bowing down as before God himself, bowing down not in terror, but in reverent fear, listening intently for his voice. For his voice is the voice of God. His words are the word of God. Christ doesn't come at Christmas just to be adored for a day or for a season. He comes for you to listen to him day in and day out because his words have been commanded to him by God for your life and salvation. Listen to him because his voice is love and mercy for you. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.